0: You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. speaking of the Lord searching me to be vindicated we must remember that David who penned this was far from sinless and yet he desired and sought to live righteously and so we see even as we come to our sermon text today that Jacob is far from sinless far from perfect yet in this matter of him and Laban he cries out for vindication and the Lord is with him but ultimately the psalm certainly finds its fulfillment In the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was sinless and yet vindicated by God, raised to life, that all who find hope and trust in him find that same vindication. So let us come now to our sermon text today. This is Jacob's Exodus, chapter 31. Now, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all our fathers. And from what? Was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, The striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, spotted, And molted. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. And Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion? Or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our fathers belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he would gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired and paid in Aram, "'to go to the land of Canaan to see to his father, Isaac. "'Laban had gone to shear his sheep, "'and Rachel stole her father's household gods. "'And Jacob tricked Laban the Armenian by, telling him that, "'by not telling him that he intended to flee. "'He fled with all that he had "'and arose and crossed the Euphrates "'and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. "'When it was told Laban on the third day "'that Jacob had fled, "'he took his kinsmen with him "'and pursued him for seven days.' and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But Jacob, but God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent and in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me, so that I might have sent you away with mirth and song, with tambourine, tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss any sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your fathers spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have done that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out to Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, let my Lord not be angry that I cannot rise before you for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then, Laban, then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. <coughs> Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods? What have you found of all your household goods? Said it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. What was torn by wild beasts they did not bring to you. I bore the loss myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, by day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I have served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side... Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters, or for their children whom they have borne? Come, now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a pillar, took a stone, and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Yegar Shadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore it is named Galid and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Jacob, then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over the heap and this pillar to me, to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their fathers, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Well, we can see here the conclusion to the laban story in jacob's life jacob had fled from his brother esau and his murderous rage but he had gone to laban his kinsman in order to take a bride and now after 20 years he is returning home but it's not as easy as him just pulling up stake and leaving he certainly fears laban and jacob starts to hear these rumors he sees how laban no longer looks at him with favor for at this moment all that had belonged to laban through god's uh, supernatural intending now it is jacob who has this great and mighty flock and so jacob is now ready to leave and the story certainly mimics or has allusions to the later story of the exodus Jacob has been functionally a slave in his father-in-law's house. But he says later, God has seen my affliction. He has heard my prayers. And here we see Jacob then leaving with all the abundance of Laban. And really, Laban here seems to be the same as Pharaoh would be later, for he hotly pursues after Jacob, just like Pharaoh and his army. The one fascinating difference is that when God speaks to Laban, Laban actually listens, doesn't he? When God speaks to Laban, he basically threatens him, just as he threatened Pharaoh. But it's Pharaoh who hardens his heart and must face the mighty wrath of God in the rescue of his people. So as we look at this this morning, it simply looks as if a great story here. And just as we were talking with the children earlier, it has this great theme of of, of exodus, of of fleeing. It feels like one of those movies in which there's a a plan put in place. And then complications arise, but then we do finally have a happy ending here. And so we have in this text, certainly it's a a long uh, reading, but we have these major and these minor themes. Certainly the, the big theme of this text is simply God's protection and God's fulfillment of his promise. God has said, I will be with you, and he has proven that time and time again. And he's fulfilling the promise that Jacob would be the one through whom the Abrahamic promise would continue. But also there are these minor themes which the text seems to slow down at times. There's certainly this long section. You'll note how the text runs ahead as we are with jacob and his family fleeing and then all of a sudden it just slows to a crawl with the scene of these household gods and as we'll get to later in the sermon the text seems to be uh, almost comical showing the folly of idolatry but then you'll note also the way in which the text concludes that there's jacob here as the one making peace with his father-in-law Jacob, who certainly has given his father, father-in-law a, an earful of his treatment, but he is the first to be the one to set up these uh, covenant stones, these monuments here, and offers this sacrifice, and they part in peace. And so as we look at this this morning, we certainly see the, the plan, which is to flee the first 21 verses. Uh, in verses 22 through 35, uh, two giant complications arise. One of those is Laban is hotly pursuing. The other is Rachel has stolen the household gods. But then there, verses 36 through 55, we do find this resolution. There is a amicable parting of, of ways. Here, Laban looks at Jacob now not as a slave, but as an equal and parts departs in peace. And so the first 21 verses here, we certainly have this theme of this great escape, you can think to novels such as The Count of Monte Cristo or movies, like I said, with Paddington 2 or others, that there's this theme of, of escape. We long for freedom. We long to be free of slavery. Jacob longs for his own land. This theme is intrinsic in us as human beings, for we know that this world is not how it should be. I think one of the strongest apologetics for the Christian faith is simply that we know Things should be perfect, and yet they aren't. And we long and desire for this perfection. Jacob longs to be free. He longs to be in the country of his father, but he longs to be in the place where God has told him to be. And so the first two verses, Jacob sees that now is the time to leave. He hears and he sees that he has now become persona non grata. He is the... One in which everyone is looking at him as he has now acquired all this wealth of Laban. Laban's kinsmen and Laban himself are grumbling and looking at Jacob. And as we'll see later in the story, Laban has been constantly trying to change Jacob's wages so that he would be able to take more of this abundant flock. And Jacob, when he speaks about his fears, certainly we can understand what is Laban to do? What is Laban to see? If if Jacob were to leave, there goes his prosperity, this great blessing that seems tied to Jacob. And so Jacob here sees that it is time to go if he wants to have any chance of escape. But on, on top of that, we have in verse three, the Lord commanding him. This is a theme that we've seen throughout the latter parts of Genesis the wording here that the Lord uses sounds very reminiscent of the the words that God spoke to Abraham much longer or much earlier in time here he commands Jacob to return for Abraham it was to go these were both commands they were non-negotiable but just like Abraham there's this promise God commands but then he also promises return to the land But I will be with you. One commentator calls this the Emmanuel principle. The ways in which God has constantly tried to encourage and bolster Jacob. That I will be with you. You will never be alone. And we'll see that throughout the story and indeed in the evening sermon as well. And so Jacob is reminded again and again. Now this new journey that he needs to take, yet he's reminded that God is with him. In verses 4 through 16, now Jacob begins to concoct this plan. To concoct this plan, he speaks to his wives, needing to make sure that they're on board with leaving. And he reminds them, though, of the great care that God has already shown to him. That as we, we talked about and the sermon before, I realized that was before our Easter series. But when Jacob is doing this kind of selective breeding program, that he, he's doing it because it appears, at least according to the text here, that God had instructed him to do so. That Jacob acted within these means, as, as strange as they seem, of putting different colored uh, black and white objects in front of the... Uh, sheep when they would breed seems strange to us yet here he speaks about how simply god has been with him god has given him this dream and this vision in order to show jacob how he will take care of him seems to recount all of what happened in chapter 30 because we just simply have to go back how did jacob acquire all of this wealth was it because he was an excellent husbandman Was he discovering some new scientific procedure that we should now adopt today in terms of selected breeding? I mean, it's simply that God had prospered him as he said he would do. And so telling this to his wives, showing how the Lord had been with him, the Lord had prospered him, and the Lord has now told him to go. His wives then discuss this together, seeing how the Lord has indeed blessed Jacob that all that belonged to their father now belongs to them. Uh, they speak also as those who have been sold by him, as if they were property to be exchanged, that they were sold in order that, they, her, that their father would receive 14 years of free labor from Jacob. They see he's devoured our money. And they seem to understand as well that the blessing— is with Jacob because God is with Jacob. And so they end with this discussion. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. At this moment, they are basically saying, whatever God does, whatever God commands, you are to do it. We we are trusting in the Lord. And so Jacob does what God commands. In verses 17 through 20, Laban is away shearing the sheep, And so Jacob packs up everyone and they flee. The ESV translates it, it says Jacob tricked Laban. Uh, The Hebrew there is is literally, he stole the heart of. Which is interesting in the ways in which the, the verb to steal then is used later of Rachel stealing the household gods. And the question becomes, and we've seen all throughout the Jacob story, is what Jacob doing here, is it Underhanded? Is it showing that he is not trusting in the Lord? Well, the text doesn't tell us, does it? But it does seem that his fears of Laban are to be founded. That Laban will respond to Jacob and will even tell him later in our text that I do have the power to harm you that I have more people than you do, that I'm more powerful than you, and that I could harm you if the Lord did not step in. And so here, when Jacob looks at his wives and his children and everything, it's not unheard of to think of Laban taking it all back, is it? Jacob is an alien. He has no rights. He has no one but the Lord. And so I think here that... Jacob is certainly not telling Laban of what he's intending to do. But I think he seems to have every reason to do so. And yet, as well, the Lord has commanded him. And Jacob has done exactly that. So Jacob flees. But then in verses 22 through 35, like any good movie or any good story, it has its complications. It's not going to be just as simple as Jacob leaves and Jacob arrives. Laban catches up. In verses 22 through 31, this twist happens. Laban catches up and he begins to berate Jacob. Jacob, what have you done? You have fled during the night. You have driven my daughters away like captives of war. You have acted foolishly. Come on, Jacob. I merely wanted to send you off with a a feast to kiss my daughters and my grandchildren. You know that I'm a kind-hearted and lovable man. As we can see later, Jacob certainly sees through that. Jacob knows better. Jacob knows that Laban's desire was never to send off, but to never let them go at all. But then a second complication happens, and and one that is certainly strange, especially the way in which it resolves itself. As you're reading the text, you, you almost sit there as Rachel is stealing these household God's going, maybe don't do that. <laughs> this, is, this will certainly have some kind of complication that will arise. And you're already fleeing for your life. Maybe don't take those. And so it's interesting then to just observe. And again, it's one of those things where the text doesn't tell us why she does it. And so we're left to just simply to speculate and as you read the commentaries you're given lots of possible options i think in the end it's likely simply that rachel is taking these as they are a part of her inheritance because later we'll see she will then sit on them clearly indicating that they are not of uh, divine value in that sense that they are valuable for the material that they're made out of, not as a conduit or a gateway to the divine. Or she wouldn't have treated them in such a way as we'll see. And so this complication happens. Laban has caught up. Rachel has stolen the household gods. And Laban is giving him, Jacob, an earful. And then at the very end, he says, oh, and by the way, why did you steal my household gods? It's, it's almost as if everything that came before it was just pretext and now he is something that he actually can sink his teeth into why did you steal the household gods and again you'll you'll notice the way in which you can see this in the in the hebrew bible how it it like it speeds up and then slows down right we were running headlong as we fled laban now laban is here and the action slows down to this almost painful place where jacob says well if you find the household gods That person will be put to death. And the text tells us. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So the text now slows down as Laban does what? Well, surely he knows who would steal them. He knows who he thinks is underhanded. and So what does he do? He goes into Jacob's tent first. And then into Leah's tent. And then interestingly, into the two female servants and doesn't find them and as he goes out of Leah's tent he enters Rachel and you can just see how we're slowing down more and more and he comes and searches all around and Rachel has shoved them into the camel's saddle and then she sits on them right and you've probably heard this story before she says I can't arise because the way of woman is with me it's a nice and polite euphemism there And so we have this incredibly strange little episode here that the text seems to highlight. And what I think is happening here is oftentimes the Hebrew Bible tends to be funnier than we think it is. We're used to just reading it and seeing it, but not really stopping to ponder at the ways in which it is showing forth the the folly of idolatry. Think of the, the humorous situation here. You have... Jacob who needs to be saved and God who is saving him God who comes to Laban in a dream and tells him you better be careful I am with Jacob and I am all powerful and then you have Laban trying to save his household gods and Rachel concealing them or if you will saving them and how are they saved well a woman sits on them during that time of the month. Now, it could be that Rachel is lying, but I wonder if she's telling the truth, and this becomes even more humorous. For now, these idols are completely unclean. And think about the way in which they're being saved in this unbelievably undignified way. And we see, right, Yahweh, who can save Jacob, with just mere words. And these household gods who need to be saved by being sat on. It certainly comes back to the heart of idolatry. And the folly of idolatry. That is replete throughout the scriptures. That it's, it's easy when we have little household gods. And for them to be sat on in a very undignified way. For us to see the, the silliness of worshipping them that's certainly what part of this text is that that who is to be worshipped is it these idols that need to be saved or yahweh who can save and i think certainly one of the the minor themes that is being brought out here and what we'll see through the rest of scripture is the idols and their just simply inability to save you know, certainly as we come into the New Testament, as we come into our modern scientific age, right we have traded up. We don't normally keep household idols anymore. Our idols become other things in our life. They become other things that, that we believe can do what idols did, right Give us control. They are ways in which we can find our, our salvation. You know, my personality is such that I do enjoy the praises of people, and I find conflict and letting people down to be very, very difficult. I probably shouldn't have gotten into ministry. But if you think about that, what is that? I mean, that's simply an idol, isn't it? It's caring more about others than caring about what God thinks of me. And I can act just like Laban and try to sort things out. But think about it. Right, we come to our idols, what are they? I asked Laura if I could have permission to share this, so before anyone thinks I'm throwing my wife under the bus, I'm not. But for her, it, it's one of control. She wants everything to be organized, and she wants to have as much control as, as humanly possible. And when things go wrong, which they often do, it becomes very difficult. And it's when that, that movement, right, from something good... Right, to, to please others and to help others is a good thing until it's not Desiring to take dominion over your world and your surrounding is a good thing until it's not right because it, it moves from something that is good to then godlike desires right the same thing we can see in safety fearing for what happens to us or to our children or to our grandchildren It's a good thing to take care of your household. But it can easily become an idol when we seek that instead of the Lord. And ultimately, that is idolatry there. It's finding our hope in anything other than our union and communion with Christ. And the difficulty there is that it will always be a recipe for disaster. And again, the Bible constantly reminds us that these idols are deaf and mute and they cannot save, right? If it's your desire is to please others, then when that doesn't happen, you're going to be crushed. When your desire is to have everything organized and something goes wrong, you're going to face up to the fact that you're human. If it's for safety, right, the doctor's going to call one day. Something is going to happen and we're going to see how fragile life really is. And the examples can be multiplied, right? If, if you love money, at some point you're going to find money can't solve something. If you love power, you're going to find yourself unable to control things. At some point, somewhere in your life, that idol will fail you. And I think looking at this text, maybe it's time for some of us to just sit on them. To see the futility of them. And to see the way in which the text gives us a clear view of one who can save. And so we see in verses 36 through 55, this resolution, this parting of ways. Finally, the idol can't be found. And this is the instance in which Jacob just finally has enough. He is sick and he is tired. And he gives Laban this earful. You hotly pursued me. You abused me as a slave. And you think about this, that he was the one who tended and cared for the flock, but they were Laban's flock. But yet, during this time, anytime something was lost, it was required of Jacob. The later laws in Exodus speak about the ways in which that's not supposed to be the case. Right, if the shepherd was doing his job, there are just force majeures. There are things that happen. You can't control a lion taking one of your sheep. You can't control these things. And so for the one who is caring for someone else's property, they're not to be laid at your feet. So this is another instance of how Laban has been abusing Jacob. But Jacob tells him, but God was with me. He saw my affliction and he rebuked you. And here, again, unlike Pharaoh, I guess Pharaoh didn't read Genesis 31. Laban realizes that we have to negotiate. He concedes, even if it's a bit unwillingly, he concedes that Jacob is no longer a slave but an equal, and so he enacts a a covenant between them that neither will do harm to the other. And so they set up this boundary marker, and the idea there is that neither will cross the other side in order to attack or hurt the other. And so at this point, they are departing in a way that puts Jacob on equal standing with Laban. And so Laban says, may the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor judge between us. It's a bit misleading here. The ESV capitalizes God of Nahor, but the word judge later on is plural. So It seems as if Laban has this idea that you've got the God of Abraham and also the God of Nahor, which seems to make sense in the fact that he also has household idols. He seems to view Yahweh as a tribal deity and simply that yahweh has been greater than the god of nahor and so laban makes a covenant this is made and this is the end of the story of slavery it concludes here and you see this sacrifice this covenant this feast and finally this blessing It's certainly prefiguring what would later happen When the Israelites, Jacob's descendants, are freed from slavery, they have this abundant blessing from their former slave masters. And interestingly, too, they're later told in the law that they are to treat their slaves and servants with generosity. And so you have here at the end, Jacob as a a peacemaker. Jacob is the first to start setting up the stones. Jacob is the first to set up this sacrifice. Right? Jacob here just prefiguring the Lord Jesus Christ the one who is the sacrifice and the one who invites us to a meal and the one who certainly has much more grievances than does Jacob against Laban so as we bring all of this together where it's ultimately all about God We see the God of promise. We see God who is with Jacob in verse 3. We see the God who has blessed Jacob in verses 8 through 9. The God who protects Jacob in verses 22 through 24. We see the God of Bethel, the one who has met him before he went on this journey. And as we'll see this evening, who meets with him again. We see the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, the God of promise and of generation. This is the God who is with us every step of the way in the life of jacob god is is with him and if you think about this how is jacob in that capacity any different from us in many ways we are in a better position than jacob think about this has god promised to be with you well the answer is yes matthew 18 i will be with you will god protect us Well, yes, he says the gates of hell can never overtake my church. He says, I am the one who lives forevermore, holding the keys of death and Hades. Does God bless us? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 1, he has given us and poured out his great blessing and riches in abundance. And that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paul reminds us that if you were in Christ, well, then you are the son of Abraham. And that all the covenant promises and blessings find their fulfillment in Christ, which means they they then spill over to all those who are in Christ. And so we take hope this morning that the same God who is with Jacob is with us, but much more in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone who smashes all these idols. He is truly worthy of worship. And he is the one who can come through for us. And Jesus is the supreme peacemaker. What a wonderful words he speaks about the way in which there is now what? Peace with God. Where there was hostility, there is now surrender and peace. And simply, Jesus, he's Emmanuel. God is with us. He promises a better promised land, a better kingdom, and a better life. And we simply now are those who wait until its fulfillment. We wait knowing that God is with us and God will do all that He has said. But so let us pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres.co.uk.